0: Welcome to the VBAC Home Birth Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Winning, founder of the Motherhood Circle and creator of the Journey into Motherhood program. I'm a mother of three and have had two unplanned and unneeded c-sections and had a calm and positive vaginal home birth, free birth, with our third baby who is 4.5 kilos or 10 pounds. My own journey has sparked a deep passion to support women to find their strength and support to create the pregnancy, birth and postpartum you desire and deserve. This podcast is for women wanting to learn more about VBACs especially home births and professionals who want to learn more about how to support home birthing women. Inside we're going to hear from women sharing their stories from surgical birth to achieving their vaginal home birth after cesarean as well as expert interviews so that you have a mix of inspiring stories as well as powerful knowledge. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Hello again, I just wanted to personally thank you for listening to my podcast. Whether you're new here or a long time binge listener, I'm glad you're here and investing time into planning your VBAC home birth. Before we get started with this amazing episode, I wanted to let you know that without you, my listeners, this podcast would not be here. It means the world to me when I hear from you and how you're going in your journey. And something that keeps this podcast going and reaching more listeners is when you leave reviews. I would like to ask you to jump into Apple and leave this podcast a review so that other feedback women can find us. To make a greater change for us women, we need to stick together. Please share this podcast with anyone you know it could really benefit. I also wanted to let you know that I'm now back and working one-on-one with VBAC HomeBirthing Women, so you're not allowing other people's fears and worries to cloud your judgment, so you don't feel frantic and alone in this, and so you can trust yourself and your body leading up to and in birth. If you feel like this is the sort of support you need, send me a DM on Insta or Facebook or email me at hello at themotherhoodcircle.com.au and let's chat. Hello and welcome again to the show. I'm really excited because I've got Talia on the show today and I've been in contact with Talia from the free birth community groups for a very long time. During my pregnancy, Talia came along and so I've watched her grow in her journey actually from the first time she was pregnant right the way through to her birthing her baby and now in her postpartum so this is really cool for me to get her on the show and hear her story you know in life and get to hear it in life rather than just through texting and in groups it's not as personal I feel through groups and so it's really cool to get on video today and have a chat with her um, so please welcome to Leah please tell us a little <laughs> bit
1: about yourself. Hey, well, obviously, my name is Talia. Um, I'm from the South Coast, uh, New South Wales in Australia, and I'm a mama of two puppies. My daughter, Piper, is 18 months old, literally as of yesterday, wow. and my son is 11 weeks old tomorrow. So, yeah, and um, I had a um, a traumatic birth with my, my first And then I went on to take back my autonomy and ended up, you know, having a mother led pregnancy and chose to free birth my second after I was told that I couldn't. So
0: yes, (laughs) yes, I know that was some of the, a lot of the um, posts in the first part of your pregnancy. And I imagine some of that had to do with the fact that your babies were so close together because women ask me all the time, how many years were there between your births? And I was like, you know, it's like,
1: stigma like it's crazy um yeah no that was one of the things is that they they said to me um I remember after I had my daughter they said you can't fall pregnant for 18 months I Mm. thought it was you can't have a like a the births have to be 18 months apart but apparently you can't fall pregnant for 18 months and I fell pregnant at six and a half months
0: Mm. first (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's that's one that I hear all the time. Um, actually, yeah. and people come to me and ask that question, and then and then I say to them like, the the date between like having babies close together for rupture rates because that's the biggest concern for VBAC is so much less percentage than me with a special scar. So for me, I'm like, mm. well, I don't know what the actual rupture rate is for that, but it's like it's only minimal. But for me, so I was tiny. sitting around 2% or something with my special scar. So <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you for your introduction. Let's get started on your first pregnancy and let's go to your first birth.
1: Yeah, sure. So it was 2019. Um, it was, I think, April I found out I was pregnant. It was actually a funny day. My sister, I don't know, I was joking around with my little sister who was living with me at the time. And she was like 13 or something. And I kept saying to her, oh, like my boobs really hurt. But like I haven't, like my periods hasn't come in like four days. And I'm just like, nah, it's coming. It's coming. I know I know all these feelings. I'm like, it's fine. But I was like super emotional and me and my partner um, literally just got engaged. So I was like bawling my heart out on the floor, screaming at him about wedding stuff, <laughs> like just super over the top, like for me. Like, it was just strange for me. And so my sister was like, dude, I think you should do a pregnancy test. And I was just like, no. And she was like, dude, you're so emotional. Your boobs hurt. She goes, trust me. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So I went and, like, pranced around being the Capricorn I am going off to prove a point um, and grabbed, like, this old pregnancy test that I had up in my cupboard for whatever reason. <laughs> and it was up there. And I was like, you watch, you watch, just going to be negative. So I went into the bathroom and I was like prancing around and being like, this is so stupid. Why am I doing this? Anyway, <laughs> I peed on the little stick and it came up um, two to three weeks pregnant. It was one of those digital ones. And I was just like looking at it like, oh my God. And I was like mortified because I wasn't in a place where I was ready I don't think you're ever ready, but I just wasn't in a place myself. Like it just, I wasn't expecting it. She wasn't consciously conceived. It was just a beautiful surprise. Um, And I remember (laughs) literally, I'm going to be real raw and honest. I went outside and I chain smoked the rest of my packet of cigarettes. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. I was so distraught and I just didn't know what to do. Um, And my partner was kind of like, the same as well (laughs) he was like oh my goodness but we came to a spot where we're like you know this is just it and this is going to happen and we can do this um and yeah from then on we're like okay our responsibility just went out like up and I went crazy like I'm not even kidding like I was like that I don't want to put stereotypes to first-time moms but I was a very anxious first-time mom so I was like looking into foods you can't eat, what prenatals you need to take, um, literally everything that mainstream media says that pregnant women should do. I was like doing that, but over the top, like I was writing down journals about you can't eat this food because it has this risk of listeria and blah, 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 blah. Um, and it was just like, I just blew it way out of proportion. And at the time to I that. Said, like, yeah I can relate to
0: that I think yeah as a Mm first-time mom, there's a lot of anxiety and the need to be perfect as well and do everything perfectly and I remember talking to my friends who had all like all my friends had kids young so I was 28 when I had my kids so they were already had their three kids and they were already in school and they were kind of like "Mm." (laughs) hmm yeah okay if you yeah. say so Ashley yeah, it's <laughs> I was <okay>. like what <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah like kind of I had I had a few people do that like my mother-in-law she'd kind of just like everything's gonna be okay you don't need to do that and I was just like you don't know anything and she's had five kids and I'm just like <laughs> <laughs> exactly I know
0: it all. <laughs> you know nothing
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so I um yeah I blew it out of proportion I was just like doing what I knew best so with me at the time before I had you know come into my power and kind of like chilled out a bit with my personality and was a bit more okay with who I was I was just like I don't know how to be a mom I didn't know that it was you know just an internal spiritual it was a rite of passage I had no clue that it was um you know just something that is internally in us from the time that we are born as women I thought it was something that you had to control and something that you had to purposely do because me, myself, I didn't have the best um, maternal relationship with my own mother growing up. So I had no clue. Like, I was just like, okay, we just feed it. And we get things and we do everything right and eat the right things and say the right things and go to all the appointments and do what we're told. Like, that's just the internalized misogyny that I had in my head that I don't know how to do this. So I need everybody else and I need to control it. Um, So, yeah, I think basically I went to my first appointment with um I, I go to Waminda. So people might know Waminda from the Birthtime documentary. Um it's like an Aboriginal corporation here on the South Coast.
0: Yeah, definitely. If anyone's yeah. seen that, they'll know, yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. So my midwife wasn't Mel, who's in the Birthtime doc um doc, but was her colleague. Um, so I went to my midwife. well first I went to a doctor's appointment and they did the confirmation of bloods and it all came back yes you're pregnant and I was like oh my gosh and then they gave me like a a scan for a dating scan and I was like do I need this and she was just like oh yeah because you need to find out when you're due and I'm like but I know when I'm due and I had no clue about due dates then so I was just like all right I ended up having five different due dates for my daughter so (laughs) they just no clue but um Yeah, from then I got um, referred into the antenatal clinic at Wominda and that's when I saw my midwife and she is pretty chill. I have a lot of respect for her, um, given that she studied in the system and, you know, works in the system, um, not exactly for New South Wales Health because they're like a private registered, you know, organization. Wominda is, it's away from the system, but it's still the system. They're still governed by the same authorities. So, She was pretty chill, though, considering all of that, and I really got along with her, um, which was good. And she was good in a way that if I had any issues or I was super, super anxious about things, she was kind of just like, um, you know, it's okay, and this is what some people choose to do, but you don't have to do this or whatever. Um, But, yeah, basically I went to her. We had like a booking in appointment where we did all of the um, background information on me and who I was, and we got to know each other. And she kind of like walked along my journey with my pregnancy with Piper, and it was pretty like um, a straightforward pregnancy. So you know, a healthy young mom as it would be I just kind of had the dating scan and we found out a, a due date according to that but then I had a different due date with my my periods and then um the 12-week scan had a different due date and I didn't even know why I was getting the 12-week scan they will just like oh you just have to and I was like oh okay um they're like because if it's down syndrome you might want to report and blah 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 and I was just like oh radio. I'm like and for me I was excited though I was like oh I get to see my baby so cool I didn't realize that it was just shadows it wasn't actually my baby (laughs) but um yeah so I went and I had the dating scan the 12-week scan I went to my appointments I was just like you know the good girl and everything I didn't really have any questions I didn't have any pushback from them because I was you know the typical follow the rules type of person at this stage um I didn't really have the confidence in myself to look further into things I do think that I was definitely a more informed first time mum though I watched a lot of things now that I look back I was watching the wrong things but I watched a lot of vlogs and blogs and read a lot of things about the interventions that occur in hospital in birth and you know um, I made up a really intricate um, birth plan right down to the T, saying I do not want my waters being broken. I want them to spontaneously break and blah 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 because of X, Y, and Z. And I was kind of like really open minded to all the possibilities that could happen, but I still didn't think it would ever happen to me. So I was kind of like, you know, I'll go into the hospital and they'll be lovely and all of this stuff. I just never thought, you know, being first time mum, never given birth, obviously. I never thought that it would be what it ended up being. <laughs> I thought I'd go in there and they'd just respect me and it would be all great. But, um, you know, it wasn't my story, which is okay. But, yeah, anyway, I got the 20-week scan and they measured her and they told me, oh, baby's looking a bit big. And I was just like, okay. And they were just like, yeah, I'm like, we'll probably have to do another scan. She wasn't in – um a optimal position for them to get the whole scan done. So I ended up having three morphology scans because they couldn't get all the chambers of her heart and things like this. So they're like, Oh, baby's just being stubborn and blah, 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 blah. So I ended up having like two or three morphology scans for them to completely finish that report to say that, yes, my baby had all of her bits and pieces and she was fine. I also was really bummed that we didn't find out the gender um, or the sex because um, even in those three morphology scans, she was in a really tucked up position and you couldn't see anything. And I was so bummed. Like, I was just like, are you kidding? Like I thought finding out the sex was the be all and end all when pregnant, it had to happen. So I was really, really bummed out that that didn't happen. And I ended up booking a private gender scan when I was 26 weeks pregnant and went and drove three hours to Sydney <laughs> to go get it done Um, because I needed to know like that's just the level of control that was in my mind like I was like I cannot birth this baby without knowing what sex she is like that was the kind of the mindset that I was in so I I can definitely say I've come a long way (laughs) um but yeah anyway I went on to have a another growth scan I think at 30 weeks um because I also had low iron and my iron was that low. Like it was ridiculously low. Like it was the hemoglobin was low, the ferritin stores were low and the iron was low. So it was just going down and down and down. Nobody ever taught me, like told me about um, supplementing with iron when pregnant and how like baby basically sucks the life out of you (laughs) in terms of iron, especially towards the third trimester. So I didn't really supplement or anything. I just thought, Oh, you know, I'll just get it out of food. But then I wasn't eating all the right foods either. So, you know, it was bound to happen. Um, and yeah, just me being somebody who already has naturally low iron, I figured that yeah, it was it was gonna happen for me. But I ended up actually passing out whilst driving when I was 28 weeks pregnant. On the way back from work, I passed out whilst driving. I just got really dizzy and blacked out. Luckily, I was in like a school zone and was going under 40. So it wasn't that much of an issue, but I didn't drive. Yeah. I heard
0: about that recently, actually, in one of my pregnancy groups. She, a lady, had a similar thing had happened to her. She basically lost consciousness at the wheel for a similar reason, I think. Wow. Um, yeah. Did you have, um, were you feeling like that before you were driving? Like.
1: Yeah. So mm-hmm. I was basically gaslighted. And when I went back to my my midwife and the doctor and stuff, I was like, I, I'm blacking out now. And um, I'm also, like, seeing, like, my vision's going blurry and I was feeling really dizzy and weak and, like, really, really puffed out doing really minimal things. Mm. Um, So I knew all the symptoms in my body and I was telling them, but they were like, that's normal when you're pregnant, when you're getting into the third trimester. And then they checked my iron at the 28-week appointment and they were like, whoa, your iron's just plummeting. And and they said basically – you know, you meet the criteria for an iron infusion, but they don't usually do it until like the 30 to 36 week mark. Mm. So wait a couple of weeks. And if any, like, if you're feeling worse, go to the hospital. Um, It was actually, I think, 29 weeks that I passed out. So it was like literally a week later (laughs) that I just, yeah, I passed out, whilst driving and yeah, I had to go to the hospital and get an iron infusion. Um, And I had like a double dose iron infusion and I felt better. But then I had to go off work because I worked as a disability support worker, like kind of like assistant in nursing type of stuff. And anyone who knows that role knows that a part of your job is driving around, um, transporting your clients' places and things like that, doing their shopping for them or taking them to appointments. And once I hit the stage where I was like, I actually am not cleared to drive until my iron stores come back up, my manager was like, Bruh, what's the point of you working? <laughs> so I ended up just being like, you know what, well, I'm gonna go off work earlier. Um, I ended up going off work at 35 weeks because I was just I was still feeling really crap at work. I was meant to go off at I think I put in maternity leave for 37 to 40 weeks. Cause I was like, oh no, I don't need to rest. I'll just soldier on through and go into labor at work. That's all good. Yeah, and so life. many
0: women do that as well. Yeah, um, so many women do that. I was so sick during my pregnancy. I had HD, and I stopped at thirty weeks with both of my children, and oh my I was like the only person. Like I was looking, mm. talking to people in the office, and people were like, "I was like, am I weak? Is there something wrong with me? Like everyone, like my one of my colleagues was telling me a story about. How she was like going to the sh- going shopping, like full term pregnant and pissing herself in the oh shops. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> I was like, there's nowhere that's happening to me. Like all these crazy stories of women like pushing themselves to the,
1: the oh, yeah, the brink. <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm glad you got off. Even though 35 is still later. Yeah, I'm glad oh, yeah. that you that you got by off 30 there. weeks.
1: I was so done. Like by 30 weeks, I was like, I can't. Like my clients. Um, were disabled in the sense that they were more cognitively and mentally impaired due to like drug-induced psychosis and things like that so they were really full-on um and then there's me waddling around 30 weeks pregnant (laughs) kind of like trying to chase after them when they're absconding and running off from me and I'm just like oh my gosh so yeah it was pretty intense it was an intense job um and, yeah, I just got to a point where I was like, I, you know, I can't do this. I'm having to have another worker on with me all the time. And my manager was getting annoyed and, you know, because how dare I be pregnant, right? And how
0: dare own...
1: you? Yeah, <laughs> how dare I?
0: <laughs> so I don't have a contingency plan for that. <laughs>
1: he actually said to me, oh, this is so, oh, <laughs> my manager actually said to me, um, when I put in my maternity leave, which was only six months, right, I was meant to go back after six months he goes why are you taking six months off he goes my wife was back at work after five weeks and I was like um okay I'm like cool oh <laughs> like, what do you, what that's do you want so me bad. to say to that <laughs> yeah
0: that's so bad and so awkward he too like,
1: no, he was like my wife worked until she was 41 weeks pregnant her mm. water's while she was at work she gave birth to the baby and went back
0: to work five weeks later and I was like
1: um okay
0: okay my my husband's boss said something similar to him he took off one week when I was pregnant uh when I was pregnant Uh, he took off one week for my due date like because I was getting induced and all that sort of stuff so we knew and and his boss is like so what are you going to do for the rest of the time like once the baby's born what are you going to do for the rest of the time (laughs)
1: my husband's like
0: um we having know. a baby
1: like <laughs> spend time with my wife and my child I don't know it was know. so weird
0: it, it was so weird when he said that I was like what is wrong with your boss
1: I like the detachment so weird yeah it's crazy but yeah no so basically um that my baby was measuring in the 97th percentile at the time I started looking into growth scans and how they were not accurate very not accurate um how they could be up to two pounds not accurate type of the thing and why ultrasounds are inaccurate based on the measurement and you know all of the scientific stuff behind it because I was genuinely curious like how do they know like it's just shadows it's just ultrasounds bouncing off a mass which is my baby to get back an image so I was like they can't possibly know right but yeah they told me 97th percentile and so I went to my OB clinic um, so for some reason not even my midwife knew why but during my pregnancy clinic I don't know why um, but apparently in this area, everyone who's going through like Waminda or another antenatal clinic like binji and Burai, which is like another Aboriginal one, or just anyone who's not going through the hospital system has to go through the clinic, which is the hospital one. And they see an OB like once or twice during their pregnancy, even if they're low risk. So originally it was the high risk clinic. I wasn't high risk, but apparently my midwife told me in my second pregnancy that I became high risk when my iron dropped below the the parameters of normal. And I was like, wow, that pathologizing, right? Because I felt fine after I got my infusion. Um and my pregnancy was normal. I didn't have any complications. I was fine. Everything was fine. But apparently I was now high risk because my iron was low, even though we rectified it. <laughs> so I don't know. But even before the low iron, I was referred into the OB clinic and I went there and I remember her and she was an asshole and um, that's the nicest way to put it she was cold and malicious and like she would just like talk to you in like one word sentences and be like up there or do this or whatever and just like super I don't know degrading and like she would check the baby's heart rate and then I'd say oh what was it because you know I'm excited to hear what the baby's heart rate was I remember being so like obsessed with hearing Piper's heart rate on Doppler um, and like noting what it was like how many beats per minute was it and so I asked her and she was just like it's written on the card I was like oh okay (laughs) and I'd ask her like how's my belly measuring and she'd be like oh you're two weeks too much and I'm just like um what does that mean she's just like it doesn't matter so she was just really like cut short and just yuck but after my um Iron infusion and then my 30-week growth scan, I had to go and see her again. Well, I didn't have to, but I thought I needed to, right? So I went and saw this OB and she was just like, okay, so we're booking you in for an induction. And I was like, why? She's like, because your baby is too big and you can't birth a baby that's that big. And I was just like, oh, yeah, I can. And she's just like, your baby's measuring in the 97th percentile. Your baby's going to be an 11-pound baby before 40 weeks. And I was like... Okay, I'm like, but my ancestors before me have been birthing babies for hundreds of years, thousands, probably, you know. I'm like, surely that there were 11 pound babies in there (laughs) and all of this. Um, And she was just like, it's just safer if you get induced. I said no, and I was just like, you know, I'll think about it, whatever, go away. Um, And then I got really bad, like prenatal depression, like I was so 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 depressed like I had suicidal thoughts I um was just like hating pregnancy and now that I look back it's because I wasn't surrendering it like surrendering to it I was very upset about all the aches and pains I was feeling dizzy still I was feeling out of breath I I was off work so I was kind of just like I didn't know what to do with myself because I'm very like go 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 I swear I like have ADHD or something (laughs) I'm always on it um And I just had to kind of sit in my own stuff and, and kind of start unpacking me and myself and doing that. um, I just couldn't surrender to pregnancy and having this baby. And so, yeah, I was just really, really depressed. And so I came to like a 37 week appointment. I had my bloods redone at 36 weeks and and a growth scan again, of course. Um, and the growth scan came back that she was in the 95th percentile. So now the OB was like, your iron is still low after the infusion. Much better, but still low. Um, and she was like, I think we need to induce you because your baby's still measuring huge, blah, blah, blah. It's safer. Um, and, yeah, so I was kind of like, right. Right. I actually went to the 37-week appointment with my mother-in-law because I felt so unsupported. Every single time I went to that OB, I left crying, like bawling my eyes out because she'd just like say to me that you need to be induced and you don't know how to birth your baby. Kind of said to me that because my low iron is this and this and this, it could be doing it to the baby. So it was all you, 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 you. And I thought that there was something wrong with me and that I wasn't growing my baby right and that, um, you know, she just kept... Projecting all of this blame onto me, and that she was trying to protect me by introducing things that I've already said no to a thousand times. So I was kind of like, just done. I walked into the 37 week appointment with my mother in law as support because I asked her, I said, I'm not coping with this lady. I didn't know that I could just cancel, I didn't know that I could just walk away and be like, um, no, I don't deserve to be treated like this. So I brought my mother in law almost as a buffer. And, oh, my goodness, was she well behaved when I brought my mother-in-law with me. Like, how convenient, right? (laughs) So my mother-in-law came and Dr. John was there. I don't know if I should say names, but that was her name. And she kind of was more placid. Um, But I asked for an induction. So after beating me down week after week after week saying, you need induction, you can't birth this baby, I went in there for mental health support. I kind of went in and said, I'm not coping. I can't do this anymore. I need this baby out. And I actually begged her for a stretch and sweep. I was like, can you do a stretch and sweep like today? And she's like, no, because you're too early. 37 weeks is not an optimal time to do a stretch and sweep. We usually do it from 39 weeks. And then I kind of like, she couldn't see past me sitting there crying, saying that I wasn't coping and I'm suicidal and all of this stuff. Like instead she was like, we'll book your induction. But to be fair, I did, I did ask for it. Um, but I just didn't know what else could be done. Like I didn't know <laughs> that I could have mental health support to get through those last few weeks um, or anything. I just thought I would need this baby out or I'm going to like kill myself. Like I just felt so unsupported my midwife at Waminda didn't understand what was going on, didn't know, I guess, in hindsight. I didn't feel like telling her. I don't know why. There's probably a reason. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I I just yeah, I just felt really, really unsupported. And the only the only thing in my head that I could think about that would make me feel better is if I got this baby out. So I was like, fine. You know, she said induction over and over and over again. Let's just do it. Let's do it. Get this baby out. I'm done. I want to meet my baby. I'm sick of this. I'm... She booked it in. I got to 39 weeks. So a couple of weeks went by and I got to the day. The day before, actually. It was a Monday. I was meant to get induced on Tuesday, right? And they call Monday and go, oh, can you come in today instead? And I was like, oh, my God. No. No, 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 no. So, in this past two weeks, so from 37 weeks to 39 weeks, I um, started really thinking about it and I started getting a really bad gut feeling around it. I don't know why I didn't follow my gut feeling. I think it's just because I didn't know about intuition then. Um, but I kind of felt pressured to go through with it. So I actually booked a stretch and sweep Monday. Um, with one of the women, the midwives, because I wanted to try a last resort before having to go into this induction on the Tuesday. Like I thought I had to, I thought it was like a contract signed in the stars. Like I wanted this. Um, I didn't really want it, but you know what I mean? Like I felt like I was obliged to do it. Um, I actually called them back. They called me on the Monday and were like, can you come in today? And I called them back and I said, um, you know can we just like wait or whatever see if the stretch and sweep kicks in and works um, and they'll just like no we've booked the induction Um, you have to come in like we can't cancel it it's been booked you have a bed for you like waiting and I was like oh okay um, so I felt like I couldn't push it back and also my best friend from the
0: central coast they didn't give you a choice either and language is so important in and I experienced this myself as a um well through any time I go in the system this is the language that you mostly get offered you get you know no and you have to do this and you know and that's not how they should be speaking to women they should be thoroughly explaining their choices and getting informed care because people are informed consent because people talk about Oh, she gave her consent. She signed the form. Somebody said this to me recently. I asked your consent. And I and I look back at that conversation and I remember consenting to something, but I didn't ever know what I was consenting to. And we consent to things but we don't know what we're consenting to or we don't feel like we have a choice so we don't even know we're actually consenting to anything we're just going along doing what we're told to do um and that's that really makes me angry when I hear because there's so many women on the podcast um sharing the same story you know we we only know when we've had these experiences and then we come out and we get told and we're like oh my god I had a choice and that I believe is where a lot of the trauma comes from as well is um, processing that there was a different alternative way um, and that you feel that you felt failed by the people in the system.
1: And then also sometimes we feel like we failed ourselves because like when you step into your own radical like responsibility and taking charge of yourself, you feel like, like I know for myself, I felt like for a long time, why didn't I dig deeper? Why did I just go, okay, like why didn't I look into it? And then I kind of had to be really kind to myself and be like, you didn't know. To it's not your job. You're not, um, you know, a medical professional. You're not. So a, true. Yeah. You know, I didn't I know about same. that
0: yeah I felt the same i all my trauma probably stemmed from me blaming myself for not knowing things that I felt that I should have known, but how was I supposed to know because I'm not a doctor and I don't work in the system, and I don't know you know all of these things, and it feels like sometimes mm-hmm. you have to be an expert to navigate life because if you don't know everything, you just get blindsided and it doesn't matter like recently, I was in the hospital for my daughter who had a neck injury, and it's like you don't even know the tests that they're recommending or anything, mm-hmm. um, you know, you have to know the right questions to ask and, you know, when you're coming into the system for the first time as a pregnant woman because we barely go into the system before that, it's like a huge shock. You're like, okay, I'll just do what you, you tell me to do and, yeah. Exactly. yeah.
1: Oh, it's crazy but, yeah, basic, basically I um, I tried to buy myself some time Um, And I felt kind of like pressured. My best friend from the Central Coast had come down. And in reflection, she looks back and goes, dude, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me you didn't want to go? Because I felt like I had to go through of it. because she came down to support me through it. So I thought if I cancelled it and just waited until baby came on her own, that she'd have to go back to the Central Coast, which is like a four hour drive. And for her, it's like an eight hour train trip. Um, mucking around and felt like this pressure like I was like okay the stretch and sweep didn't really do anything and they've said to come in today and my best friend's here and I have this bad gut feeling but I don't know what to do with it and so like that whole entire day I was just like feeling super like out of it and unsure like when I look back on the pictures of the day that I got induced I'm like I look so scared like I look so terrified but anyway I went in um thinking I didn't really have a choice and I went in at 2 p.m that day and they put the cervidil on my cervix they didn't explain anything to me I didn't know anything about induction I didn't know what it entails I didn't know what they what they use what drugs they use I didn't know that they had to do vaginal exams I didn't want anybody in my yoni to be honest because I'm like a sexual assault survivor and I didn't realize that you know it was their thing to be like, I'm going to put my hands inside of you a million freaking times and basically molest you. So I was very blown away by that. Got to the hospital and um, signed the consent form and everything, which was used against me when I when I put in a complaint about my treatment there, right? They basically said that because I signed the consent form for an induction that I consented to being abused. Um, <laughs>
0: Which is I think myself. this is a really important um, ses- section too because so many women are sexually assaulted. I'm really sorry that that happened to you. And I think it's really important to have these conversations with women before you go and put your hand up there because it's not a natural, normal thing for people to be doing. And I think getting that permission and making sure that this is okay and then asking that woman how she feels because we don't know what trauma lies behind mm. um. You know, I think a lot of practitioners need to be trauma informed um, to pre- prepare. You know, provide trauma informed care, I should say.
1: To be honest, because when you look at my booking and information, because I got all my medical records back um, when I put in a complaint to the Healthcare Complaints Commission, um, and my booking and information says about my childhood and teenage and whatever trauma, and then the mental health. Um, you know. What, what's going on with my mental health at the time and everything like that booking an appointment that psychological <laughs> psychosocial history literally yep. says what my history is and yeah. I'm like why wasn't it holistic therapeutic care mm. like why didn't they look at that and be like this is my patient for this shift this is mm. her history like, instead, they just look at the medical history. They didn't look at the psychosocial history and be like, yo, this is a sexual assault survivor. Maybe yeah. we should just be really careful and really, like, sensitive around asking for consent.
0: Absolutely. Um, I think
1: for everybody, that should yeah. be a, you know, a, the bare minimum. Like, consent is the bare minimum for everybody. But especially <laughs> for, for people who have already felt like their bodies have been violated. Like, it's just crazy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> thanks for talking about that
1: yeah um but yeah basically I went in and they put um she was like I'm gonna do a cervical exam now and I was like oh um right okay I didn't really know what that meant she's like take your undies off and sit on here and blah blah and I was like oh my god and it was so uncomfortable it was so flipping uncomfortable um wasn't nice at all Um, and she was just like, okay, you're about like one, one to two centimeters dilated. And we're going to put this servadil gel on and I'll come back and check you in like six hours or whatever. So she did that. Um, didn't explain to me what the servadil was doing. The prostaglandin gel didn't explain to me the risks of it. Now that I've looked into it myself, I'm like, oh my goodness me. Oh gosh. (laughs) Um, but yeah, just didn't, you know, and I had to sit really uncomfortable sitting there with the monitor on. She goes, I have to monitor baby. She wasn't, she didn't tell me that the reason that they're monitoring the baby is because they're waiting for um, a change in the baby to know that it's affecting the baby badly or a change in myself to know that I'm having an adverse reaction or whatever. Because if I had have known any of this before the induction, that the reason that they monitor so much in induction is because it's actually stressing the body out so much more than uh, say a natural vaginal birth does. I would have been like, no, this is putting my baby in danger and it's not natural. Um, To me, I was kind of just like, Oh, they're medically inducing me. It's like, it's just like labor, except with a little bit of a push, you know? Um, But I wasn't given informed consent. I didn't know about what it was going to do and what was yet to happen and anything I had no clue so yeah I basically sat around there my mother-in-law my best friend were there and they went home and everything and then my husband came um after work and he spent the afternoon there with me and they um checked me again and I was just like yeah you know you are two centimeters dilated just sit overnight we're going to admit you to the ward now and then I went in there and then they basically told him you know you've got to leave um, and I was like boiling my eyes out. I was like, no, because I was actually in pain by now. I was getting that cervical ripening, early labor kind of pain where I think my cervix was opening. My lower back was killing, and they kind of said, no, he has to go. Um, he has to go. It'd be better if he goes home and he gets some rest. And maybe in hindsight it was, but for me it wasn't. He, I know my husband. I know he's quite happy to sit in a chair and fall asleep there. He's not one that's, you know, <laughs> he can he can sleep anywhere. <laughs> so. I was really, really pissed off because I was like bawling my eyes out. I was so scared because then after they sent him home and I didn't know that we could literally say, no, you're staying. I had a single room. Um, They basically came in and said, Oh, if your water's break, just let us know. um, So we can take you over to labor and delivery. And I was like, what the fuck? I'm like, so I could go into labor. And they're like, well, yeah, you're in early labor. Like, that's what this is. It's, getting you ready for early labor and I was like oh my god <laughs> so I was terrified as all hell I had nobody I remember messaging my husband all night and then he fell asleep um so I was messaging my mom and my mom was hella pissed like she was like do you want me to call the hospital I'll call the hospital she goes that's not right he should be there with you you could go into labor your waters could break she was off the chart cranky um and I was like no mom it's fine and I had like one midwife come in and she goes, I'm going to now give you a painkiller and um, a sleeping tablet. And I said, no, I don't want to. Because at this stage, I was like, I'm having a natural birth, not knowing what induction is. <laughs> not natural at all. Um, and I was like, no, I don't want to put anything in my body that's going to go through to the baby. Um, and she was just like, oh, well, you're going to need it for what's to come, love. And I was just like, oh, my God like I was terrified like who says that to a first-time mum? and then also all in the same afternoon I had um a midwife come in and interrogate me about refusing the whooping cough vaccine during pregnancy and she was like I'm gonna go get the whooping cough vaccine now because I saw on your yellow card that you haven't had it and I was like no thank you and she goes you do know that babies die from this and I was like uh yeah (laughs) I was like okay and she's like so you know the risks I'm like yes. I'm like I'm fine. I practice good hand hygiene. I know about letting certain people near baby. I've just I'm still declining it, and it just didn't make sense to me because why offer to give a whooping cough vaccine when somebody's literally about to go into labor? Like the immunological <laughs> common sense of that doesn't even make sense because it's like that doesn't. That's really interesting, even get to isn't work. it? Yeah. It doesn't get to work. It doesn't cross the placenta. It doesn't do it It doesn't even have time to cause an mm. immunological response. So like, and then somebody who's going into labor, why would you want to cause an antibody and immuno response when somebody's going into labor? Like that's just a recipe for disaster, right?
0: It was in, so, it's an interesting choice. I, I haven't heard that one before.
1: Yeah. She literally wanted me to have it right then and there, like after the prostaglandin gel had been put on my cervix. And I was like, well, no, that doesn't make sense. So, yeah, my heart was like beating out of my chest because I'm not a confrontational person. But I was kind of like sitting there, like shitting myself, like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, what do I say? Um, But, yeah, I ended up saying no and it was all, I guess it was all good. (laughs) But, anyway, fast forward to the next day. They take me from the ward um, at like 6 o'clock in the morning over to labour and delivery. I haven't slept all night. I was like leaning over the end of the bed, like actually in pain, um yeah, I think I got like one hour's sleep before they woke me up. It was a night shift nurse and she was just like, Oh, hey, gonna bring you over to labor and delivery now. We're gonna get your induction started. And I was like, I thought you guys told me it starts at eight. And she's just like, Oh, might as well do it earlier. And I was like, Oh, okay, right. So another thing just out of my control. And um, yeah, so I went over there and they I said to them, I don't want my waters broken. And they're just like, Well, it's a part of the induction process. And I was just like, um, okay they're like, yep, yeah, we're going to break your waters now. So they broke my waters and they started the, um, centosin and drip and everything. And it was kind of just like, I don't know, I remember it being like crampy. And then all of a sudden it was just like, boom, like it was like unbelievable pain from the top of my uterus going right down to the bottom. Um, it was like just it wasn't even coming in waves it wasn't even like a nice kind of like gradual it was just like boom and I just couldn't do it like I was like oh my god this is awful so I think I labored for about 10 hours um they told me I wasn't allowed in the shower because I went into the shower and that was really working for a long time um And I was happy in there and then they took me out and they were like, you know, your temperature's rising, you can't stay in there, it's going to stress the baby out. So I was just like, oh my God, they just took away my only like therapeutic reliefs and I was like, okay, I'll jump in the bath then. And they're like, no, 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 you can't jump in the bath because we've put a fetal scalp electrode on your baby's head. And I was just like, why can't I jump in the bath? And they're like, oh, it's just against policy. So then I took both of my therapeutic pain relief measures away and I came out and I wanted to be naked and everything. They wanted me to get on the bed and to check me. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, you know, the typical on the bed, we're going to check you. And I was like, no. And then I wasn't allowed to be naked for some reason. They were like, put this gown on. And I didn't want this yucky hospital gown on, but apparently had to have it on. Um, and yeah, so I got, eventually I just gave up with it like they didn't give me informed consent about the fetal scalp electrode they told me it was a little clip that goes on her head because apparently I was moving around too much for them to get a good trace so they were like yeah this isn't good like you need to keep still or whatever and I was like no so <laughs> they were like okay well we're gonna have to do this then um, told me it was a clip later found out that it's a literal screw and my daughter was born with like a bleeding scab <laughs> on her head um, and I was mortified but um yeah that was good (laughs) and yeah I think after 10 hours I was just like leaning over the end of the bed and I was starting to lose I was starting to lose it my I was losing my breath I couldn't breathe properly I was like freaking out Um, my mother-in-law was standing next to me kind of trying to breathe through it with me and then I was just like I want an epidural I can't do this because they checked me and they were like you're only four centimeters And this was after 10 hours. And I was like, oh my God, this is unbearable pain. I can't deal with this. I'm like "Uh, four centimeters. That's not even like active labor yet. So in my head, all this language around me of people being like, I remember at one stage them saying, oh, look, she's close. Like, I know that look, she must be close. Like, I remember the midwife and my mother-in-law standing outside the bathroom saying something along the lines of, she's got to be close. Like, I know that. That kind of look and everything. Um, and then they checked me and I was four centimeters. So I was so disheartened. Um, I wasn't allowed in the water, took me out of the shower, wasn't allowed in the bath. So I was like, fuck it, I'm going to get the epidural because, you know, even though that was against everything that I had learnt about it, I was like, I can't do this any longer. Like, I'm not getting the support that I need. Nobody's, you know, helping in the way that I wanted. I just couldn't. So then I had the epidural placed about like I don't know an hour later and you know the whole the whole labor was people coming and doing vaginal exams with no consent not explaining who they were not saying um, what they were doing and the benefits and the risks. there was nothing and I think the worst part of it was is that like you know just fast forward to like um 8 p.m that night so I got the epidural at 6 8 p.m they come and check me and they're like oh she's four centimeters but I just stretched her to a six which actually I found out tore my cervix he manually stretched me to six centimeters and baby was like fully engaged 100% effaced but they were like baby's turned posterior um so she was like right occiput transverse and then right occiput Posterior, and she was like flipping between transverse and posterior, and to me, I was like, "Is that bad?" And they're like, "It's not the best position for a baby to be born in, um, but you know, it's still possible." And so I was just like, "Oh my goodness!" And then, um, then fast forward to like ten or eleven, I think it was like, yeah, no, eleven. After I was six centimeters, they come back in. I was still six centimeters. So then this guy walks in never seen him in my life don't even know who he is or what he is could have been the bloody cleaner for all i knew he comes in and he puts on a glove and he goes between my legs and he puts his hands inside of me and he goes up there and he says six centimeters he then looks at me and says you need a c-section um and i was just like what the hell just happened like what the hell (laughs) Like I had no clue what was going on. There was no informed consent. I had a piece of paper put in front of me, and they'll like sign here. Um, I signed it, and then before I knew it, I was in theatre. Um, on the way over there, I had the, you know, the anesthesiologist above my head being like, "How long until you had to come in for this one?" I got home only half an hour ago, and I just felt like a piece of meat. Like I felt like a piece of meat. I just had this guy come in, put his hands inside of me. He didn't introduce who he was. I didn't know who he was at all like crazy and then a million different midwives coming in putting their hands inside of me not giving informed consent about things they ramped up the the drip to the highest and left it on that for hours and then realized that it was stressing me out and you know I was never in distress and baby was never in distress but they're like this isn't actually achieving anything like we're not moving at the rate that you know they thought I should be so yeah it was eventually The male doctor, who I found out was the OB, um, he made the call for a C-section. Nobody told me why I was having a C-section. He did say that you have failed to progress, which is just lovely language to a first-time mum, anyone, to be honest. And I was just kind of like, oh, all right, (laughs) sure. Um... And then I was in theater and I was throwing up on myself because of the meds that they gave me. My husband wasn't in there. They eventually let him in. And I just remember just feeling so dissociated from my body because I just felt all the pushing and pulling of hands inside of me. I didn't know what was going on. They pulled Piper out and they dropped a the curtain. And I remember the curtain thing being in, in my way so I couldn't really see her. And then they took her over to the, um, the little isolate humidity cribby thingy. Um, and she didn't really cry but she did make little gurgly noises and stuff. And I remember somebody saying to me, she's okay. She just needs, she just needs some breathing um, help. And I was just like, what the hell is happening to my baby? And then my husband asked me, do you want me to stay with you? or Do you want me to go with the baby? And because I had no clue what was going on with her, I was like, no, no, no. You go with the baby. So then I went off to um, recovery. And I, when I watched C-sections in like vlogs and blogs and all this stuff, I saw a lot of mums holding their babies skin to skin breastfeeding while they were getting stitched up um, and in recovery and having their babies with them. So I was really confused at why I didn't have my baby with me because I was, I learned about like um, the three hour, like the three golden hours post birth from um, uh, the the Thompson method and stuff. Like I'd looked into that and I was like, Oh, why is with me? Like that's, what's going to regulate her. And I just didn't know what was going on. I didn't know where she was. I didn't know what they were doing to her. I didn't know where my husband was. I literally was in recovery for hours and I thought my baby was dead. I actually kept asking the recovery guy. I'm like, where's my baby? Like, can I go and see my baby? And he couldn't really tell me anything. Um, He just kind of like, I don't know, was doing his obs and stuff. And I remember him like pulling my gown up and just like staring at my vagina and then typing in how much blood loss there was. And I was just like, what the hell? Like, I just felt like such a slab of meat. Like he was touching me without consent. He um, lifted up my gown and my vagina was on, you know, um, view for the whole room. Like the recovery room was just one big space. And um, it was all beds across and everything. And I just felt so like objectified. Like I was just there, but I wasn't, I wasn't a human. Um, And yeah, and then hours passed (laughs) And I kept asking him, "I'm like, "Where is my baby?" and he he was like, "Okay, I'm going to call the special care nursery." So he called them, and he goes, "Okay, mum's getting a bit eager to see her baby. um can you come and get her? Can you organize someone to come and get her?" And I was just like, yeah like where is my um so yeah, I got." um transferred to the special care nursery and my husband and my mother-in-law and my best friend all met my baby before I did and she was all attached to all of these wires and lines and she had a CPAP machine on and you know she looked like she had problems like there was issues I tried to breastfeed her but they'd already given her so much of my colostrum that I expressed prior that she was just full Um, but she was pretty happy just being on my chest but then they were like okay we have got to take you back to the ward now and I thought she was coming with me, but they were like, no, no, no. She has to stay here. We have to monitor her. And I was like, what? So I went back to the ward and then my whole postpartum stay was just awful. Like it was like, I don't know, people treating me like crap and coming in. And when I eventually did get her back, she was, people would come in and do her obs and then leave the, the, um, the bassinet or whatever she was in far away from my bed. I've just had a C-section. I couldn't, get out of bed and get her. I couldn't do anything. So there was a lot of mistreatment. um, A lot of, I don't know, just people being rude and expecting that I should know what to do after having a C-section. I didn't know what the hell was going on. I know that, you know, I keep demanding, I'm like, I want this catheter out. I want to walk. And they're like, no, 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 you can't feel your legs still, whatever. So I got my best friend (laughs) to, come over after they took the catheter out. And I was like, can you help me into the shower and help me to get dressed? I need to basically prove that I need to get out of here. I cannot be here. This is really affecting my mental health. Um, So she helped me into the shower and helped me change my pad and put clothes on and everything. Then I lied to the nurses and the midwives and said that I've um, used my bowels and I've weed. I hadn't, I couldn't for the life of me, my whole insides felt like there was a massive block. Like I couldn't let anything out. Um, which I knew the repercussions of if you don't use your elimination <laughs> functions. But I was like, no, nah, I don't care. I've got to get out of here. Um, so ended up going home on day two, post-C-section, because I was like, no, I need to get out. I can't be here. This is unsafe. Um, I didn't know what exactly was wrong about the experience, but I knew that I wasn't in a safe place. So went home and I literally just jumped back into normal everyday life. I split my scar open from just you know I think now I look back it was a trauma response I just kind of like went straight back into life I was like I've had a baby this is what's happened and I didn't bond with her I kind of um I look back and um I feel actually quite sad because I have such a different relationship with my son than I do than I did with my daughter and I do think it was because of the trauma um yeah it was quite quite difficult but yeah it was just like crazy (laughs) And I I went I jumped into studying full time when I was two months postpartum, which I think was also a trauma response because I felt like I need to do something. I can't I can't just sit with my thoughts. I need something to distract me. And then I started drinking, and I was like heavily drinking. Like I'm talking every single day having like equivalent to a bottle of wine. Um, and yeah, like it was it was just destroying me. And then I came, I started listening to I don't know other people's birth trauma stories and and things and I started to realize that I had birth trauma um and then I started to realize that things were wrong and that I wasn't actually the wrong person here there were things that happened to me that were wrong um and then I started to unpack some stuff. And, and my version of dealing with that was, okay, I have to do it again. And I have to change it. I have to change the narrative. So I basically convinced my husband <laughs> to have another baby. Um, I was like, no, 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 we've got to do this again. I want to have another baby. Um, I want my babies close together. Like there was a level of, uh, I don't know, common, there were, <laughs> I can't explain it I wanted another baby and I wanted them close together, but I think underlying it was a trauma response to want to do it again and to change my narrative. Yeah. Um, I felt like I'd failed yeah. in a way. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I understand so, that. Yeah. A lot of women should, you know, have that experience and, um, you know, go on to have that experience as well because of that as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So six and a half months postpartum, I fell pregnant with River. Um, he was consciously conceived. And I came across the idea of free birth after I went to my mate's blessing away at um, eight weeks, pregnant as a free birther. And I had no clue what that was. So they started as a part of like the mama blessing or the blessing away they started going around in a circle and and telling her their free birth stories and I was just sitting there and all like eyes wide open like oh my goodness this sounds so beautiful so I was just like wow this is so powerful sitting here in this in this matriarchal circle of strong women like I was like whoa this is nutty um <laughs> so I had like some fire just grew in me and I went home and I was like, I'm free birthing. <laughs> and my husband was like, "Um, okay, what's that? And so I started getting um, up the free birth society podcast. I started listening to your VBAC podcast series. I started listening to the midwitch. Um, I started listening to the renegade mama. I started listening to all of those type of podcasts and I was just like, I'm free birthing. Like that's it. And he was just like, Oh, I prefer it if you, home like if you had like a home birth midwife or whatever so then I was just like yeah but why and you know he was just like for safety reasons and everything and at the time we were both like oh yeah I guess so then I called around to all of the home birth midwives and and they were all too expensive for me um we couldn't figure out a payment plan that would work and I remember having a massive mental breakdown being like this isn't sisterhood this isn't supporting women like why why would they make it so expensive and then when i looked into it and how they're all endorsed and all of this stuff i kind of understood why they're like minimum five to seven grand each but i just felt so um invalidated and rejected i I remember like crying in the kitchen saying i'm not going back to the hospital and sad because like free birth shouldn't be or like mother-led pregnancy and mother-led birth and whatever shouldn't be based on trauma like it shouldn't have to be I had a traumatic experience so now I'm going to do it differently like I think first-time mums should be able to just be like I'm going to do it differently (laughs) without the trauma um but yeah I just remember feeling so yeah just out of out of touch with my body and I said to him I'm like I'm not going to the hospital you can't make me it's not happening and um yeah, I just, I just thought it was super unfair that nobody would support me. Um, and then I dove deep into all the podcasts and I was like, you know what, I can do this. We can do this by ourselves. We don't need a midwife. When I started looking into it, one of the midwives actually in the area told me, she was like, what would a midwife do that you can't in an emergency? And I was like, what? And she was like, well, if an emergency were to happen, we would transfer you to hospital. Why can't your husband call an ambulance? And I was like, whoa. And that sentence, like seriously, I don't know, it opened up something in my head. Like I was like, holy crap. Like there is no reason to have somebody there watching me birth and labor waiting for something to go wrong.
0: Um, Isn't that amazing when midwives, when you, when you're looking at someone with authority and who you want to be at your birth kind of thing yeah. and they turn around and they support you, like they know that like, this is the only option and they know this is what you want to do. I had a midwife yeah. say something similar to me. She said to me, I know you can do it and I know you will do it. And I was like,
1: exactly. wow, but you're a midwife. So yeah. It's I was like, like you're, you're a midwife. You're that. registered.
0: And she's like, you can do and this. Then- and I was like, she believes in me. Like, if she believes in me, then I can believe in me. You know what I mean? Like, it was, like, amazing.
1: And that validation is so needed, too. Like, I was, I was saying, actually, to my birth keeper earlier today, I said, like, wow, I was looking back on our messages from, from when I first got in touch with her. And I was, like, I was so, such a different person then. Like, I was so... Um, needy I guess and yeah. it's not a bad thing it's not a bad thing to want to be validated and supported mm-hmm. um, but I was talking to her every single day anyway I'll get into that in a minute but like yeah like. but <laughs> now you're
0: powerful and I think that that you know a lot of women need validation that's that's yeah. pretty much what I, my services um you know entail we go through fear talk you know all yeah, those conversations really but that is woman-led care and that's what women need um and and the outcome isn't that you're going to be dependent on that person it's going to be the outcome that you've got now is that you're strong and you're powerful and you're educated and now you're coming from a space of strength
1: yeah exactly Mm. yeah it's crazy. it's oh it's crazy because it's like you just sometimes need that person to say to you i can't empower you because you are the power but i'm here to support you like that That itself is just, like, so powerful. It's just, like, women are the power, but sometimes we just need to be heard. We need to be witnessed Yeah, we need to be validated. Yeah, holding space
0: is such an important um thing that we don't have in our culture anymore.
1: Yeah, so yeah, it was it was actually crazy because when I was pregnant with Piper, um my husband was the one who said why don't we just have her at home? And I actually said to him like this is the level of growth, right? And this is just so misogynistic. I said to him, I was like, I'm not comfortable with having a home birth until I'm a qualified midwife so that I know what to do in an emergency. Like, how detached is that from your body? Like, I was so detached from my body and my baby that I thought I had to have a three-year qualification to know how to birth my baby.
0: It's almost like that expert where we're living in an expert culture where mm. you have to have a qualification degree because that's what they set you up when you go to school. You, you've got yeah, your end got goal go is uni. university. You've got to get these test results because you are going to university and the kids are like, don't even really know what they're going to university for. And they go to university yeah. and they do something for three years and then they're like, yeah, nah, no, like, I, like I think it. I want to do something else. <laughs> like they're still that's babies me. themselves. and But the university is like, getting all this money and the government's getting all this money it's like cool 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 it's a sick kind of culture and that's it's so easily for us I felt exactly the same I was like well maybe I should do a midwifery course and maybe I should be a psychologist you know and it's like Mm -hmm. no Ashley calm down like you don't need to be an expert you're an expert on yourself
1: yeah exactly it's just oh it's so detached from like the intuition. It's like intuition versus institution. It's so messed up. But yeah, I just can't believe that I even I even said that to him. Like it just goes to show the level of um, transformation. But yeah, I basically, I fell pregnant and I was looking for that validation. And once I got rejected by all of the home birth midwives, I basically went to my midwife at Wiminda and was like, yeah, I'm free birthing. And she's like, what? And I was like, Free birthing, and she and I was looking for validation in her, and she was just like, oh, okay, yeah. She goes, yeah, cool. I mean, people have been doing this for thousands of years. I believe you can do it. But then the next appointment, she was kind of like, are you still, are you still gonna birth like unassisted? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and she was just like, oh, okay. And then she started like freaking out and stuff started sending me like policy documents on how I can have like a gentle V back in the hospital and all these policy documents were so bullshit. Like they were like um, continuous monitoring, having an IV in your hand at all times, epidural is strongly advised, so easy access to theatre, um, to have a back and everything. And it was just like, it was like can't go in the water. And, you know, this policy document was like everything that I hated. Like I was like, yuck, this is gross don't seclude me to that um and basically I went looking for a doula next because my midwife was like they only do prenatal and postpartum care they don't do like the birth or anything so I was like I'm gonna look for a doula and I think at the beginning I was looking for a doula to have somebody there to save me I wasn't yet at a spot where I was like I'm having a doula there to hold space for me I hadn't spiritually gotten to that point where I knew what um I kind of like wanted from a doula um, and what they actually were but I went around and I went through all the mainstream ones on the south coast and they all kind of like said to me who's your midwife who's your attending midwife Blah, blah blah and I said oh I don't have one and they're like sorry my insurance doesn't cover this and I remember like messaging them all back being like how does your insurance not cover this when you're not regulated by APRA or the NMBA or you know all of the councils that are the registrating and regulating bodies? Like, how what what insurance? So I was like, what do you mean <laughs> you can't support me? And one of them actually replied and was like, I could lose my house, I could lose my car, I could lose everything. If something were to happen and I am to be seen as somebody who is in acting as a midwife, and I'm like, Well, don't then. I'm like, you're not there for medical care. And she was just like, yeah, but I could still lose everything. So I was like, then what's the point in supporting women if you're not supporting women? Um, I actually said that to one of them. (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) Um,
0: I had a similar thing happen to me as well. She said the same thing to me. And I was like, she said she could lose her house. And I was like, okay, then. And then she was talking about hospital birth. And I was like... (laughs) No. <laughs> yeah, you know, did you not hear what I said like I don't want to go in a hospital it's funny yeah. how people try to change your story and what you want to suit them yeah um, but yeah you know I learned I think this is really important and I'll do another topic on this but it is important for people to understand when they invite someone in their birth I thought when you when you invite have a doula they support you but when I started speaking to doulas I started to realize that they support women as long as it's on their terms, and that's fine, you system. know.
1: Yeah. on
0: In the hospital, that's what they're comfortable with. You know, maybe on in home birth if there's a midwife. So it's really important to find like a birth keeper or a, um, mm. a free birth doula and then have those conversations about what their role is because that's another topic altogether because some yeah. will act as a medical professional and overstep that boundary. And that's okay if that's what you want. But it's not okay if that's not what you want.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, oh, it's crazy. I didn't know what I wanted from a doula at the time. I think it was more of a um, a reassurance for my husband even. But as um, the, the birth keeper that I ended up with, it was far from that. It, was, <laughs> it wasn't a validation for my husband. It was a full-blown support and it was so beautiful. But yeah, I basically got in contact with one who was a free birth doula And she said, oh, it's just half an hour too far south for her. But she turned around a few weeks later and goes, oh my goodness, I didn't even think to tell you about this woman. And then she she introduced me to Sammy, who is um, at the naked raw on Instagram. And she is a radical birth keeper who's, you know, she's just, she's firecracker. She's amazing. Like I see her as a friend now. Like it's yeah, she's just awesome. But I got in contact with her and at first I was so reluctant. I was like, oh, I don't know if I can afford this and blah, blah, blah. Like I was just like super not in my power or anything. I was very um, victim complex, very low, very not knowing what to expect from this. And she kind of just held space for all of these emotions to come out like I was saying to her this morning I'm like I just looked back on our messages and we talked like every single day of my pregnancy and she goes yeah because that's what you needed you needed somebody there um and some of it was just like stupid shit like it would be like me ranting on about something that happened in my day but I'd let it out and it, you know it brought us so close that having her in my birth space was just it was like she was a part of the furniture. Like <laughs> there was no, there was no consciousness that she was there or she was going to change anything or anything, but yeah. But, um, basically I then hired her and we kind of just really dove deep into fear releasing. Um, I remember sending her things that all the fears that I had about free birth, um, about mother led pregnancy, about what was going on with me. Um, I dove deep into the free birth society podcast so deep that I was like, no, I'm not getting any ultrasounds. I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that stuff that when I was pregnant with River, um, I did book in to the hospital because I wasn't like strong in my free birth everything at the time. And I didn't know that you don't have to book in like if you were to transfer to hospital, they can't refuse you service. Like that is a thing like you don't have to book in to be on the safe side like that's not that's not a real thing. <laughs> um, so I booked in and everything and I got referred into the antenatal team. And my midwife was like, oh, you're going to get the dating scan. I said, no, nope, because I already know his conception date because he was consciously conceived. And then she's like, oh, you're going to get a 12 week scan. I was like, no, nope, because if he has Down syndrome, I'm not going to abort him. And then she was like, okay, you're going to get the 20 week scan. I was like, no because I'm trusting my intuition and everything (laughs) um it did change my whole first trimester with him was so chilled out like my pregnancy with Piper was like vomiting and stress and you know maybe it was because of the space that I was in and the lack of support that I had spiritually with her but like I felt so sick and so disorientated with her pregnancy that when I had my first trimester with River I was like there has to be something wrong with him. Like, why am I not getting morning sickness? Like, I had this idea in my head that if I'm not getting morning sickness, then my HCG levels are not high enough. And that means that there's something wrong. Like, he might be dead or who knows. So, I thought maybe I had a missed miscarriage. Like, it was just, I was in my head like crazy. <laughs> so, I ended up getting a 12 week scan, which I regretted because it was transvaginal and then abdominal and then transvaginal. And it was just a really uncomfortable, um, situation and he was in there heart beaten away all happy chappy and then i went down and got the blood test for the 12 week scan that you get with it and it came back that i had low pape which is like a protein deficiency um and this is when i got classified high risk and this is why my whole i think up to 20 weeks it was like a big fight for my rights mm, um, i remember yeah so I got diagnosed with low PAPE and I started to freak the hell out. So I was posting on the wild pregnancy um, free birth group, like, oh, my God, is other people had low PAPE? Apparently, it's heightened risk of preeclampsia, um, interuterine growth restriction, um, you know, all of these other things. And based on that, I was like, okay, I have to get the 20-week scan um, because I need to see if there's any notching or anything in um, the arteries in the placenta meaning you know other nutrients as being um what's it called not going to the baby properly and causing him to be too small or whatever so I had it in my head that I need to have this 20-week scan because um not to check if he had all of his arms and legs I didn't really care about that um, and not to check placenta previa because I'd done research into that and it's actually been debunked that they can't diagnose it at the 20-week scan but to check the placenta flow the nutrient flow so i was like that's validated so i went and got the 20-week scan because of this low papay and in hindsight now i'm like if i hadn't have got the 12-week scan which is completely optional like i never would have gotten that blood test i never would have known i had low papay and i never would have gotten the 20-week scan i never would have had all of this anxiety about my baby being too small I know throughout my pregnancy, um, when I did my own antenatal checks, I'd check my urine, um, check for proteins, anything that was um, symptomatic of preeclampsia and things like that, like swelling and my blood pressure and everything. Like I checked all of that myself, but like that fear would never have been there if I didn't know that I had low papay. So it was just like a pathology that didn't need to be there. But it was, and it was my story, and I've learnt from it. But um, yeah, like it, he ended up being fine, and nothing was wrong. <laughs> um, but yeah, I got the twenty week scan, and after the twenty week scan, they said that my placenta was low lying, um, which you know it wasn't, <laughs> it was fine. Um, and then they also said that they couldn't get all of his what you call it. Measurements of his heart. So they wanted to do another one, which I declined. And then they also said they wanted to do growth scans because of the low papay and they thought that maybe he'd be too small because at the scan, he was measuring on the day, like literally up to the day of what my gestation would be. But they thought that other body parts weren't measuring the same. Like I think I was like 19 weeks and his abdomen was like measuring at 18 weeks and six days. Like it was something ridiculous by like one day off. Um, And that got sent from the OB clinic basically as a summary to Wominda saying we highly recommend more scans. And that's when I said to my Wominda midwife, I said, actually, I'm not going to the OB clinic this pregnancy. And they are like, what? And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to it. I'm like, they were abusive to me last year. I'm like, the doctor that I saw, the one that booked my induction who was horrible, her husband was the one who did my C-section. I said that I had too much trauma um relating to that ob clinic and there was no reason for me to go there so before that though i was coming up with all of these ideas i'm like i'm just going to go i'm going to take my midwife with me i'm just going to bite the bullet i'm just going to sit there and be abused and then just walk out and do whatever i want to do but then it was sammy who actually messaged me and she was like if you got what you wanted to get out of the 20-week scan and you got the results saying that he's fine and the placenta nutrient flow is fine and everything, then why are you going? And that like planted this massive fire in my belly. I was like, wait a minute. I'm like, she, she basically said, how does this change the outcome? You going to that OB appointment, how does this change the outcome? Because I was going to follow up my scan results, but I already knew the scan results. So why would I go just to be abused and be told that I need to book a C-section or a growth Yeah. Series.
0: And that's how easy you can get wrote right back in, in that mindset hmm. and that without that awareness of someone going, yeah, but why? And you having the awareness of being able to go, yeah, that's right. I've been led astray yeah. from my path.
1: Yeah. And I was like literally so blown away. In that day, I literally called up the OB clinic and I said, I just need to cancel my appointment. And they were like, um, okay, why? And I was like, because I want to. <laughs> And um, I felt like a badass bitch after that. I was like, oh, my gosh, I just cancelled the OB appointment. And I'm so in debt to Sammy. Like, I know she's all about, you know, it's not me. You're the one who's in your power. I'm just here to support you. Like, I haven't empowered you or anything. But, like, her saying that, it set a precedent for the rest of my pregnancy. I started thinking, what did they, like, instead of what did they want and what, what, the schedule is and I started thinking um, what do I want and how does this change the outcomes so I didn't want any growth scans Um, they wanted four weekly growth scans and then two weekly growth scans as soon as I got to 30 weeks and that's just too much to me after I'd done the research into ultrasounds I wasn't comfortable with that and I felt like he was fine Um, you know my fundal height that I was measuring was always measuring a couple of weeks ahead which is crazy because he was born six pound. <laughs> so like, yeah, it just, it, it was crazy. But like, basically I had a massive um, thing with Laminda. So I basically told my midwife, I'm not going to the OB clinic. And then she turned around and was like, how, how you can't come here then? And I was like, what? I'm like, why? And she's like, because, our policies state that if you are getting GP to midwife shared care, that you have to go and see an OB. So my support systems just dropped out. And so I was on the phone to her for hours being like, that's fine. Like, you know what? I won't go to you then and I'll just continue this pregnancy alone. And so then she started freaking out and then she was like, okay, how about I go to the OB on your behalf? And then she started like emailing the um, Australian Council of Midwifery and being like, can I still support my client if they're refusing this, this and this? And it turns out they can, right? But before she got to that conclusion, it was, I can't support you if you're not following our regime. And she was kind of like, you know, we're not covered to support you and we have a professional transparency to tell the hospital what you were doing, as if what I was doing was harmful in some way, making my own decisions.
0: And this is a really good example of people who are so used to following policies and guidelines and not having an open mind. I've worked in customer service a long time. And so I learned very early on not to say no straight away to things because I often mm. found when I looked into it I was wrong when a customer said something and I, you know, I'd be like, no, no, no. And then I learned, I grew with that. And so I never say no. I I mean, I can't in my business because I'm the boss, but when I'm in in another space, it should always be from a space of curiosity. Like, you know, I support you. I want to support you as much as I possibly can. Let's look into this. Let me just have a look into this and see, so I can come back to you knowing exactly how I can support you rather than no, you can't because I had exactly the same experience my GP was like no you have to have this scanned done. you have to have this and I was like actually no I don't and he's like eh, well it and it wasn't because he was like trying to get me to do something that I didn't want to do it was just like he literally didn't compute in his brain that there was a choice he literally thought there was no choice and I was like no But they can kind of like get a little bit like really rustled and really scared about that. And when I realised that it wasn't so much personal against me because everything felt so personal and I think we find this so personal, when we we realise that it's actually just people don't know how to deal with when things don't go to plan, when things aren't going the normal way, they kind of freak out a bit and they're like, oh, my God, like their head flies off or something. Yeah. And uh, until they kind of digest and realize that, yeah, she does have a choice, <laughs> isn't yeah, that? So, I mean, that's interesting and so weird at the same time. Um, but I just wanted to point that out while you were talking because I was like, oh gosh,
1: so many ahas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It it was definitely like um, I was surprised because she was like, no, because I myself had been studying nursing and I just recently, right before like when this was occurring, had studied the the um, subject um, law and, uh, I don't know, law and ethics for nurses and midwif- midwifery. Um, and so I knew my rights. I actually, you know, had just freshly studied it and freshly gotten a distinction in the subject as if, you know, <laughs> that means anything or whatever. But I literally said to my midwife, I was just like, all you have to do is document that the client has refused I'm like, the client has refused and that you have given informed consent and you have given all available options but the client has still refused. And I'm like, and then every appointment they're out, do that. <clears throat> and she was just like, no, I don't, I don't think I can. And so she had to go away and say, you know, I think we just have to put our antenatal appointments on pause for now. I don't know if I can support you. Um, she ended up basically sending me policy documents for having a VBAC in the hospital um which is like what i was saying before and it was all just a load of crap and then kind of said to me i can't support you unless you go to this ob clinic and i was you know it wasn't an option for me so yeah i had to do a lot of unpacking with semi and we did a lot of work around do i actually need them because i was actually going more for the communication and the therapeutic relationship like i had a good relationship with the girls that were Minda. um I I still hold them with respect. I don't agree with their practices, but I also understand that they're held under the system. Um, and I think they now, since, like, since I've had my free birth, they've actually said to me that they're aware that they are <laughs> held under the system um, and that my story has really opened up their eyes to how they practice and everything. Well, I know that my midwife said that, but yeah, basically she went away to... Email the Australian Council of Midwifery and they turned around and said, despite Wominder's policy about GP shared care and having to see an OB clinic, um, the midwife is with woman. That is what midwifery is about, is with woman. So all of the women's choices should be respected. Um, But because that put a dent in our relationship of my midwife kind of just saying, No, I can't support you, and then kind of confronting me and being like, How about I go? with you to the OB clinic or how about I go on your behalf or how about how about um I go on your behalf to the to the OB clinic and then they send you a letter saying this is our recommendation of care and then I'll document that letter saying that you have refused and I was like no and she's like but why not you don't have to go and I'm like because I don't want to give energy to that I you know I've said no (laughs) so leading to that I've said no there was a lot of work that me and Sammy had to do it was do I need to explain myself to them why do I have to you know go buy the books and have her go on my behalf or go with her there just to be abused by this OB again like it just wasn't sitting well like the, it wasn't changing the outcome it was going to make the outcome worse and it was making me feel very confronted in my decision so I was like no it's not happening um at the same time, I'd also put in a complaint to the Healthcare Complaints Commission about Piper's birth. So then maternity coast hospital that I'm closest to, um, they called me. So not only was I having my midwife calling me and being like, try this, this and this, I also had the maternity services like from the hospital that I birthed out calling me being like you need to come in and do this this and this and I was like no and then they'll like on the phone to me going you're not going to have this baby at home alone are you like questioning my decisions and they're trying to give me all these options saying you can go to the OB clinic or you don't have to but at least let your midwife go on your behalf and I said yeah I'm not going back to my midwife and they were just like Oh no, you can't do that. Like, what about the safety? And then I got the whole you do realize your baby could die, and uterine rupture rates and blah 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 blah, and all of this fear mongering bullshit. I remember being on the phone for two hours between um, the head of maternity services for the Shoalhaven and Milton area, and then also my midwife, and then back and forth between them two, explaining to them that yeah, no, this is actually what I'm doing. Like, I don't, I don't need to give in to what your recommendations are. So that was really difficult because I'm not a confrontational person. So having to hear um, someone tell you that your baby is going to die because of your negligence, it was hard. It was very hard because I didn't see it as negligence. I saw it as this is what I'm doing and this is the safest option for me. Um, But, you know, because of their conditioning in the system, they couldn't see that. They thought I was being negligent. And I was half expecting family and community services to get involved because they were starting to say things like that. Um, the maternity services were saying that you know this could be seen as negligent to the law and stuff and I was like okay. <laughs> Which
0: is um, interesting because there's no law except for in South Australia in Australia that prohibits mm-hmm. women from free birthing or not having natal care. I know. And I know. you know like we could go into a whole explainer about antenatal care as well but yeah i just wanted to let pit the audience know that because i know that's one of the biggest things that happen um you know in the free birth community like this big um worry about whether it's legal or not and um people trying to push um their power
1: so basically after having all these conversations with my midwife and the maternity services and I also have put in a um a complaint to the healthcare complaints commission i kind of just i don't know i was feeling a bit disempowered like they they were walking away from me but then when my my midwife came back and said actually no i can support you it still deterred me so i was like actually no um i'm going to do mother led care and i didn't i didn't like use that language then but that's essentially what it was so after my 20 week appointment with my midwife i did my own 24 week appointment and i went back in at 28 weeks um to get my blood taken but there was nothing done at the appointment i think maybe i let her use the fetoscope i declined dopplers i declined the group b strep test i declined the gestational Um, diabetes tolerance test declined the whooping cough vaccine Um, I declined a lot of things (laughs) it was very mother-led care Um, I had my own reasons for declining certain things I knew about how they didn't change the outcomes for the positive and I knew that measurement equals management so I wasn't okay with that stuff being done Um, and I think you know we kind of hit a brick wall. My midwife was like, oh, but, you know, what if this and what if that? And I was just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> like if it in the universe, if the universe has already set my path and my baby's path, um, everything that is going to happen has already been written in the stars, basically. So it's just my job now to surrender to this. Um, Measuring all of this is not going to change my outcomes. Uh So, yeah. I basically just did a mother-led care thing. So 24 weeks I did my own prenatal appointment and prenatal appointment doesn't have to be medical either. I think a lot of my prenatal appointments were going to the beach and reading a book, Um, just taking time out for myself. I meditated a lot. So I went within and I spoke to my baby and I would see him. Like I actually met him before he was born. I could see him. I could see this like static blue, um, kind of like when I saw him his name came to me in a meditation when I was very early on pregnant I saw visuals of me giving birth vaginally like there was just so many things spiritually that made it adamant for me that I could do this and no matter what the midwives were saying as much as it did stress me out at the time I had um, my birth keeper Sammy there and she was really really helpful in kind of like grounding and holding space and letting me let out all of this frustration towards the system and then also letting go of the system. So as much as I was still in the system, I went and got my 28 week appointment done where I let her figure out what position he was in and then used the fetoscope, I declined everything else um, and I just got my bloods done to check my iron because I you know from my previous pregnancy I have notoriously low iron but this time listen to my body and I took the right supplements that were for me. I didn't take the, you know, just the normal Elevate, whatever. I'm like, they're just a a rot. They're all pharmaceutical crap <laughs> going on there, but I won't go into that. Um, I took what was needed for my, my needs, which was beef liver capsules, iron tablets, and chlorophyll tablets. And that really held my hemoglobin and my iron levels up much better than anything else had. Um, and also diet controlled i was checking my blood sugars myself because there were a couple of times where i had high blood sugar um but i had like the doctor and the midwife say to me you need to get the glucose tolerance test and i was like nope i'm like i'm not having it um the numbers and that changes every single year to class what is gestational diabetes and what's not and so I'm not going to put myself into that box I'll just keep an eye on it myself and I never felt yucky and I never felt wrong and my blood sugars were fine I think that I was just stressed going to those appointments because that's the only time that they were ever spiked so <laughs> I was like yeah no um I went I think at 36 weeks and got another blood test done, but I didn't really go to any other appointments. There was a mums and bubs group that I was going to that was run by Wominda and my midwife was there. So it kind of did feel like I was still going to antenatal appointments, but it was more for um, the community and the catch up. I think in one of these appointments or one one of these meetups at mums and bubs group, my midwife actually was like, apologized to me and she started crying and everything. And you know I actually felt for her because she was saying, Um, that i have changed the way that she views maternity care and she says that the way that i have taken power over my body and kind of like chosen what i want to do has really shaped how she now differently views you know women and their ability to birth because her herself um kind of told me that you know she went into the system being an obstetric nurse basically so her version of birth and what she was taught was all very surgical she said that to this day she actually hasn't seen a physiological birth of a placenta or a baby um so that that's really sad but yeah she kind of was really empathetic to what I was doing um she got to this point where she surrendered herself And I think from 30 weeks onwards, she was just like, you know what you're doing. You've got this, you know, like, you know, it was, she wasn't anymore like questioning me because I wasn't having it anymore. I think I'd done the work with Sammy and all the fear releasing and all of that, that power building in my own personality to feel secure in myself and my body that I got to a point where nobody could fight me on this anymore. They were literally um, inferior to me. They were no longer somebody who held a educational authority over my head because they did a course. I was the only authority in my body, not them. And I think they felt that because no matter what they said, I would just come back at it with, yeah, I don't need that. I don't want to do that. And it didn't come from a place of uneducation because I was very educated behind my reasons, but I also didn't feel the need anymore to go, actually, this article says this and this and this, and this isn't peer-reviewed and that is peer-reviewed and this is not evidence-based what you guys are doing. Like I didn't need to prove myself anymore. It was just, this is what I'm doing, get over it. So, yeah, <laughs> I got to that point and I got my blood stunned at 36 weeks, and my iron had dropped a bit, um, but not enough to meet the criteria for an iron infusion. And I felt good. I wasn't dizzy, I wasn't passing out, I wasn't blacking out. I didn't experience prenatal depression. I felt really in control of my body in a way that I'd surrendered to it. Um, it was hard towards the end because like you know normal pregnancy aches and pains and you're carrying a baby but it was nowhere near as hard as what Piper's pregnancy was and I had the support that I needed so like there was a few times there where I had blocks getting closer to his birth um, and I I took what was necessary like I did what was necessary for those so like I had zoom appointments with my birth keeper to just fear release and to cry and to let it all out and to just be like I can do this like it was never me fearing birth though. It was just things that were happening in my life around me that were just making me stressed out. And I didn't want that impacting me honing in on those last few weeks. Um, and yeah, I just, I don't know, those last few weeks to me, there's not even much to talk about because it was just so natural and so perfect to me. Like It, it just felt like what pregnancy was always meant to be like. It wasn't stressful. It wasn't pathologizing. It wasn't oh, you're getting close or, or baby's coming any day now or, or have you done this and have you done that? Like, it wasn't stressful anymore. It was, this is what my body is doing and this is what my baby is doing. And we were just unapologetically being pregnant. Like, it it wasn't um, measuring my ability to carry my baby anymore. It was, I'm waiting now and I'm waiting for the divine timing that my, my baby is gonna come to me. Like, it was just so chilled out. And I loved that. <laughs> Um, so it came to about 37 weeks and four days or something, who knows if I was actually that far along or whatever, but, um, I came to that and I lost my mucus plug. I was in the bath and I was just chilling out and I was in the bath and I lost my mucus plug and I was like, Oh, <laughs> and then for a couple of days, I was really frustrated because I was like, everyone around me was like, you're going to go into labor. You're losing your mucus plug means you're going to go into labor. And I had to like surrender to actually, no, this could grow back. And you know, it doesn't necessarily mean labor's impending. Um, and so I lost it on Monday. And then by Thursday, I was just so frustrated. I was like, I just kept losing my mucus plug and having like these random Braxton Hicks and things. And I had a Zoom meeting with Sammy and we did some releasing and letting go of that expectation. And I just like cried and just let it all out. And it was good. And then Friday, um, it was my husband's birthday. So we went to the skate park because he's a skater. And we took my daughter there and she loves the skate park too. And we just like played and ran around and everything. Then that night I started getting um, kind of like tightenings, but they're kind of like period pains, but not, but in my back. And I was just like, oh, this is just my body repairing. It's probably nothing. This could be prodromal labor. And I just wasn't, I wasn't in that space where I, start, I wasn't freaking out or anything. So I wake up Saturday and they're still there. They're still there and they're coming. And so by the time it got to like 1 p.m., 2 p.m. Saturday, we started actually timing them because we're like, hey, these aren't going away. Like they're coming and going and coming and going but constant. Like it was just on and off, on and off. Um, 2 p.m., they were like coming every five minutes or so. Um, lasting like 30 seconds and we're like oh this isn't even painful like it's just like you know that association with birth being painful and everything I was like this is strange so then I messaged Sammy and you know it was really low key I was looking back on our messages and there wasn't even a lot going on like it was just kind of like being pregnant I was like oh hey I think they're not going away and she was like okay keep me updated like it was just so chilled out there was no rush. There was no flustering around. There was no, Oh my God, it's time. Like it was just chill. So chill. And, um, that night, Saturday night, um, you know, we did the shopping and we had a fridge delivered and my husband went into town, which took two hours and we weren't worried about him being away or anything. And he came back and that night, um, I put dinner on the slow cooker. We went for a walk. Um, and then when we got back from the walk, things ramped up so I decided to start checking them again and I knew that checking timing them didn't really mean anything in terms of progression and stuff but I was just curious I was like oh they feel like they're coming more.
0: Of course you were <laughs> mm. we're all a bit curious at that stage aren't we? <laughs> I
1: know it's like all day <laughs> so they were coming and and they were coming now every I think they were coming up five minutes apart um, for a minute so they'd gone up from being 30 seconds long to a minute long and it was a solid every five minutes like it wasn't five to ten minutes like earlier in the day it was they were kind of sporadic and all over the place whereas now it was definitely every five minutes I was having to kind of stop and be like "Ooh, that's um cool <laughs> and um we actually start. we counted active labor starting from 8pm that night because the whole day was kind of just like laity going around, doing the shopping, going places, going for walks. Like I could talk, I was happy, I was eating, I was picking up my daughter, like it was just chill. So we started um, classifying labor starting at 8pm that night um, because that's when I started having to kind of be like, oh, that's interesting. That feels cool. Um, and I think that night we literally just started setting up the space. We put the birth pool up, we put the fairy lights up and, you know, none of that stuff is needed to free birth or to birth. But like, for me, it was a cozy little space. We put the fire on and we made like a platter of food. We put Harry Potter on and I was like, I need to get through all the Harry Potter series before he's born. And my husband was like, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> like, I think he's coming tonight. And I was like, nah, no way. <laughs> so... Yeah, I think it gets to, like, 10 p.m. that night and things start to get uncomfortable to sit. Um, still eating, drinking, talking through them, happy. I told my husband to have a sleep because he's, you know, I was like, I think this is it. Um, and I told my birthkeeper, like, things are things are happening. So she, she logs off, I think, like, 12, 12 o'clock or 11 or something, and she just messages me and says, um, I have my phone right next to my head. Let me know and I'll be there. And she lives two hours away from me so or like an hour and a half away from me. So, yeah, I had to give her a heads up for when (laughs) when I thought it was time for her to come. And I literally was saying to her, I was like, I don't know when to tell you to come. Like I don't know when it gets to that point. And she was like, you'll know. Let's just just leave it. Just leave it to intuition. So, yeah, my husband went to sleep and I think it got to 1 p.m. or not 1 p.m., 1 a.m. I should say um 1am it's 1am Sunday morning now Sunday 28th of March and I'm starting to feel a little bit unsupported I'm going out onto the balcony I'm crying my eyes out on the balcony trying to recenter myself because I'm starting to lose it a little bit um I couldn't like sit down or anything and I come back into the lounge room and I'm crying and that's when my husband wakes up because he hears me crying And I purposely came and like stood really close to him, like crying, because I was like trying to tell him that I needed him. I needed some support at this time. And when he woke up, he just knew straight away, he goes, okay, he goes, time to set up the birth pool. Hey, so he starts filling up the birth pool. um, And then I think, yeah, that time that he's filling up the birth pool, I'm like starting now to hang off him. I couldn't go through a surge without hanging off him and kind of like squatting, but all of my pressure is on him though so yeah I was just kind of hanging off him like a monkey (laughs) at um one o'clock in the morning and then by the time it got to 2 a.m um I think yeah he he was like I think it's time to call Sammy or to message Sammy because that's when things started getting like pretty up there I was like oh this is I couldn't talk through them anymore um they were quite ramped up but still still not as bad as what I remember labor being with my daughter like it wasn't anywhere they were so their own pace and I I was coping with it I just felt like I needed more support though in my space so he messages um sammy and she goes yep on my way like immediately (laughs) so i think it gets to like she gets there in an hour so it's three o'clock and i'm sitting on the toilet kind of making noises and stuff i literally felt like i was gonna shit myself so i'm sitting on the toilet thinking i'm gonna poo i need to poo i need to sit on the toilet and that's when i started like projectile throwing up in the baby bath um (laughs) and oh no it was just so natural though. Like it didn't feel gross to me. It didn't feel like, I just felt like I was just making room.
0: You That's know? good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I didn't, in hindsight, I didn't realize this was transition. I had no clue, <laughs> no clue that this was transition. But when I got off the toilet, I got into the bath and I started saying, I don't want to do this anymore. I know I can do it, but I don't want to. So my husband and Sammy were sitting there like, dumbfounded on what to say to me because I wasn't saying I can't do this anymore I can't do it I want to go to the hospital it was I know I can do this I just don't want to and so they're looking at me like um <laughs> what do what do they say to that so they were trying to ground me down and I started getting nasty I was kind of like to my husband I'm like I don't want to hear it I'm like I want to go to the hospital I want an epidural I can't Like, you know, I don't want to do this. And then he was like, Talia, we spoke about this. You know what's going to happen. You know, you're just going to end up in theater. You're going to get a C-section. I'm like, I don't care. (laughs) So I got to this point where I was just so done with it. Um, And not because of the pain. It wasn't necessarily painful. It was that I was just not surrendering. Like I wasn't surrendering to it. And then I got to this point. After, um, you know, I demanded that my husband go and start packing a hospital bag. So he went away and started like pretending to pack (laughs) full blown pretending because he knew what I wanted. (laughs) (laughs) And um, Sammy actually told me after the birth and everything, she told me, she goes, oh, I pulled Amy aside in the kitchen and kind of said to him, like, you know, this is the energetic shift. Like there's going to be an energetic shift and it's going to occur and just like hold space for it, basically, like just wait for it and you'll see. And it did happen. Um, I demanded that my husband call his mom, which who lives three houses around the corner to come over and look after Piper so we could go to the hospital. Um, and so he's pretending to pack this bag and Susie, my mother-in-law gets there. And then I don't know what happened um but the the energetic shift just occurred all of a sudden I wasn't saying I don't want to do this anymore I want to go to the hospital and it was just I knuckled down it was 4 a.m now and I was just like yeah we're doing this um and I had my hand inside my yoni and I could like feel something there um and I didn't know what it was so i was like flipped, flipped over on my back and I'm like what is this someone check me and I was just like you know that was the only time anyone ever went near my yoni or whatever and I was like, somebody check me. What is this? I think it's my cervix. Cause I had this internalized fear because when I was in labor with Piper, um, my cervix got swollen and they also tore my cervix went manually stretching it from four centimeters to six centimeters. So I had this internalized fear that my cervix was going to have like an interior lip or it was going to swell or baby couldn't get past it or something. So I thought that this thing that I was grabbing was my cervix and that it was like flipping itself inside out or something. And then my um, mother-in-law goes, honey, that's a head. And I was like, Oh, I like threw myself back onto my husband and was just like crying like in triumph. Like it's a head. It's a head. And so um yeah, that was about 5 something in the morning. Um and then after that, I literally just put my I was like putting my head in the side of the birth pool and, you know, blowing bubbles into the water and I was breathing and everything. And I never lost my breath and I never lost concentration and I remember such a comparison between my labor with Piper and my labor with River because I was so out of control with my labor with Piper and I felt like things were happening to me whereas my labor with River it was happening to me but I was just so going with it it was just like the flow like I was like yes and I didn't have any thoughts about what was happening to my baby I didn't feel any bad gut feelings it was all just so instinctual and it was just happening so I had my head into the side of the birth pool and they were coming and they were going and I don't know what everyone else was doing around me frankly I didn't care at that stage Um, and I started seeing like this static blue in my eyes I was thinking in my head hello son and then I just had this feeling that I needed to get out of the birth pool and my whole pregnancy, right. I said that I visualized my son being born in my lounge room with me leaning over the end of the couch. And that is exactly what happened like 20 minutes later. So I got up out of the birth pool. And as soon as I'm not even kidding, as soon as I put my knee on the, on this mattress that I'd lined with plastic and sheets and made it all comfy. um, That was like exactly in front of the lounge. As soon as I put my knee on that mattress droplets of blood just started coming out and I was like is that blood and yeah and then I don't know what happened after that someone said something and then so then the search started coming again and I just like put my head in the end of the um the lounge because it's like one of those l-shaped lounge things and yeah I just started like bearing down into the contractions because that's what felt good like it didn't feel right to not push in the surges, but it felt so amazing and so relieving to do it. I didn't know how dilated it was. I didn't know what was going on down there. I just knew that it felt amazing to to push into them. So I was actively pushing, but I wasn't holding my breath or anything. I was actually making a lot of primal grunting noises and it wasn't until I got to, um, him crowning and me feeling his head with my fingers, um, that I was kind of just like started to make more louder noises, more like kind of squealy noises, but it it was still not bad. It wasn't terrible. Um, it was almost like this primal roar that was occurring and it just felt amazing to just let it all out. I knew after labor, I had like such a sore throat, (laughs) but, um, yeah he my hand was just on his head and I remember my husband just whispering into my ear he was like slow down bub and then my mother-in-law in the other ear going in the next one give it a big push and I was just like they had no clue I had no control <laughs> over what was happening You've
0: got the <laughs> like devil and the angel on mm. either side whispering and you're like yeah. mm, I'm just along for the ride <laughs>
1: yeah I'm just here <laughs> So they had no clue. There was no slowing down and there was no actively pushing. Like there was nothing. My body now had taken over fully. So that's why like in my birth video, you just kind of hear me go like that. And then all of a sudden his head and his whole entire body just slide out in one like fetal ejection reflex just occurred. And I had no control over that. Like he just flipped out all in one go. I saw all these birth videos during my pregnancy being like oh and here comes the head and stops at the shoulders and then in the next few surges and the shoulders come out and the baby slips out and it's a slow you know beautiful experience and then for me it was just like this baby just like flying across the room (laughs) um no I didn't fly across the room but like He, my hand was on his head, and then my hand just moved down to his back, and I lowered him down to the mattress. But he came out in such a force, and I was just like, whoa! And I just like sat back on the mattress and pulled him up to me, not realizing how short his cord was. And I was just like, oh, (laughs) like I pulled him too much, and I just felt this resistance inside my yoni. I was like, "Uh oh. (laughs) Um, But yeah, he was screaming, and oh my goodness, it was just such a beautiful experience. And I just remember like nobody touched him, nobody touched me inappropriately nobody asked me um, questions nobody you know did anything and like I guess also I wanted to add like the shortest part of this podcast has been me talking about the free birth itself but that is because it is just so natural like it's just so that there's not a lot for me to talk about because it just happened like it's just so natural it's just so beautiful I think that's just it (laughs)
0: that's I know and I can relate to that so much and I think a lot of the time when we get to the end stories the birth it's the shortest period because there's so much more detail in the other stuff but when Mm. you get this beautiful positive healing intuitive birth it's just like
1: you don't have to explain exactly
0: and it's so beautiful And and how did you deliver? How long did your placenta take to come out, and how did that all go?
1: Yeah, so um, after he came out, and I was just like holding him, and he went to the boob straight away, and he was just like suckling like a fish, like he just knew exactly what to do, like he was such a champ. Um, I just like sat back, and then clots started coming out, and I didn't ever feel like I had a lot of bleeding or anything. Like I felt fine. I was just like so in awe at this little baby. And I started feeling like contractions, like surges, like five minutes after he was born. So I just sat there just like pulling little grimacing faces through them. Um, And I think my placenta actually detached then, but it didn't come out for until three hours later, because I wasn't actually aware that for some people, you kind of have to give it a little bit of a nudge. I know it's not for everybody and some people's just come out, but I was literally just sitting on my bum, just like looking at this baby. I wasn't aiding with gravity or, you know, pulling it or anything like that. Like I was just like, oh yeah, it will come out eventually. Um, A few clots came out and I thought that that was the placenta um just because they were like you know round and jelly (laughs) um but it wasn't I think after two hours we literally just sat there in front of the fire watching the sun come up because he was born at 6 19 in the morning so the sun hadn't come up yet and after two hours we all just like sat there and were like how about we just like pop up and go and sit on the toilet and try to do a wee and for the life of me I couldn't wee I couldn't do a wee um I was either like, okay, it's either my bladder that's blocking the placenta or my placenta is blocking my bladder. It turned out the placenta was blocking my bladder. Um, My placenta had actually already detached, and I think it did when I had those surges. Um, But I just, I don't know, I think it got stuck, maybe. (laughs) I'm not going to say stuck because... That's a negatively connotative word. but Yeah, it
0: just just sticks there. And, yeah, sometimes you just have to squat or push Mm. or pull, whatever it is that you feel intuitively. Yeah, it's totally normal.
1: So I hopped in the shower and I started to tug on the cord a bit. Um, I didn't want to cut him from the placenta, but his cord was a little bit short and it was quite awkward to do anything (laughs) um, to actively try and aid the placenta along. And I had heard horror stories about retained placenta and having to go and get it surgically removed. And I was like, no freaking way. Am I going to the hospital in this beautiful little bubble of what just happened? Like, no way. Like I was so high on oxytocin. I was like buzzing. I was like, nah, not happening. So I hopped into the shower after peeing and walking around and, you know, doing all of this stuff. And I had a little bit of the placenta release and um yeah, just, it wasn't, it wasn't coming. So then I hopped into the shower and I squatted down and I started tugging on the cord, just really, really gently and nothing was coming. Like it just felt like it was just a rock in there. Like it wasn't coming out. So then I decided to put my hand inside of my yoni and I, Oh, there it was. It was just sitting in my cervix. It was just sitting there the whole time. Um, It was already detached. And I think a while back because yeah, it kind of felt like there was like this heaviness sitting there for a couple of hours, and it wasn't until that I literally plucked my own placenta out, like I put my hand up inside my yoni and it didn't hurt or anything, and I just um grabbed hold of the meaty part of the membranes and with the other hand just tugged on the cord very lightly and I just inched it out like very slowly, um, and then it just came out and there was no bleeding afterwards. There's just like a little bit of a trickle of blood, um, and then I went and sat on the toilet because i needed to pee but i peed in the shower first like once the placenta came out oh my goodness this release it was almost as good as the birth like <laughs> i just started peeing and peeing and peeing and i was like oh my god this is so amazing <laughs> like i just kind of like had my head held back sammy was just like watching me after she collected the placenta in a bowl and she was just like yeah <laughs> like it was um yeah the placenta was blocking my bladder so I released and but then I started to feel a little bit dizzy um not like bad I just felt like has anyone like ever had that feeling that you get when you don't eat and you start to feel your blood sugars are a bit low like yeah. you start to feel a bit, bit yeah. um queasy yeah yeah once the placenta came out and I peed I that was onset like immediately and I was like oh that's weird and I figured I'm like okay in my previous things I've I've known that your blood pressure can drop sometimes when the placenta comes out and, you know, all of that. I'm like, I'm not bleeding heaps, so it's not due to bleeding. I'm like, I just need something sugary and whatever. So I knew what to do. I went and sat on the toilet and I peed some more, made sure that my bladder was completely empty. Um, I wasn't bleeding a lot. And I just asked Sammy to get me a sugary drink. And she went and got me some Powerade that we'd gotten beforehand just to have something on hand that's, you know, sugary and electrolyte and whatever. <laughs> Um, and I had some sips of that until I felt like I could walk to the bed. And then she helped me into bed, put some blueies down and some towels. And I just like breastfed him in bed. And I felt good. She made me some um, food from my postpartum meal that we prepped previously. And then also brought me a hot like afterbirth tea and, you know, all of this stuff. And then went about cleaning up all of the birth space. And uh, we just like slept for ages. Like my daughter woke up. And she met him and she saw me and she was just so excited. She was trying to jump in the shower with me (laughs) when I was trying to get the placenta out. So my mother-in-law took her out uh, over to her house for the day. And then my husband and me and my baby, we just slept in bed all day. Like he didn't breastfeed after his first feed when he was first born. We just stayed in bed for hours and hours and hours and just slept. And it was just like, oh, so beautiful. Like I just... Oh, just giving me tingles just like talking about it
0: <laughs> oh what a beautiful story what a beautiful mm. story and beautiful birth that sounds so magical and I'm so it's so nice to hear it from you as well because I've read your story and and in the group and that it's just nice to hear you say it and articulate it in your words and and hear yeah. that because I watched you grow through your whole pregnancy and, you know, I was rooting for you, you know, I was like, you know, couldn't wait to hear your story. And it was just so, Aww. you know, you get, you know, how you get excited about other people.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I'm
0: so yeah, happy yeah. for you. Congratulations oh, as well, you. because you're only 10 weeks postpartum, aren't you?
1: Yeah, he's, yes. 11, he's 11 weeks tomorrow. But yes, yeah. congratulations.
0: Yeah, and can yeah. you tell us what sizes your babies were? Do you know what sizes they were, like, weight-wise?
1: Yeah. So my daughter, who was meant to be this big 11-pound mm. um was 8-pound 4 okay. when she was born. Yep. So three point three point eight kilos. Yep. Um, and she was born at 39 weeks. Yeah. So and then my son was born at 38 weeks and four days, and he weighed 6 pounds 7.
0: Wow, total difference, hey?
1: Yeah, no, yeah, and I was measuring it. I said the funny thing is, right, this is, this is just a, a stuff you to all those people that are like, oh, my belly's measuring big so I'm having a big baby. When I was pregnant with my daughter who was estimated to be this massive chunk of a thing on ultrasound, my stomach, um, like my fundal height never measured a head. Um and with my son, when I measured it myself just for fun, like I never got the midwife to do it because I didn't want her pathologizing me. <laughs> um well, maybe she did it once or twice. I don't know. Yeah, but it was for curiosity anyway. Um when she measured my stomach with him, he was measuring two weeks ahead quite a bit, but because I declined ultrasounds, they never got to kind of pathologize how much he probably estimately weighed in the womb um so yeah I was measuring a head with my stomach with him but he ended up being the much smaller bubby and then I wasn't measuring ever a head on my stomach with Piper and she ended up being the eight pound four baby so it just goes to prove that (laughs) those things are not really accurate in terms of um sizing but yeah he was my little small one like Piper was eight pound four and she was um I think 20 20 inches long and she had a 34.5 centimeter head Um, and then he was six pounds seven and he was 20 inches long and had a 33 centimeter head
0: Mm, a total difference yeah of your babes well thank (laughs) you thank you so much for sharing your story so
1: good my little fam bam's
0: home now so (laughs) it's going to be totally noisy in the background just for everyone listening (laughs) thank you so much for sharing your story i really appreciate you coming on today especially 10 weeks postpartum
1: yeah yeah he's been pretty chill so that's good (laughs) that is
0: good well thank you so much thank you Thank you so much for listening to the VBAC Homebirth Stories podcast. I hope that this episode has helped you take another step to finding your voice and confidence in your VBAC home birth journey. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a second to rate and review. Each review helps us to help more women to find out more about VBAC home birth, just like you. Don't forget to take a screenshot, share it to your Instagram stories and tag me at Circle.